0: And welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. You can also join us October 29th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. for a participant-led smart politics conversation about all things election 2020 and because we are in the middle of a pandemic we are going to do this smart politics happy hour covid style which means you bring your own beverage and get online with us for this political event where all opinions of course are welcome and respected and facts are in charge the facts rule with us all the time. So join us on Zoom Thursday, October 29th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. for this virtual politics, Smart Politics Happy Hour. You have to register for the event just before it begins at wdet.org slash events. So we will see you on October 29th, just a few days before the November election. Up first today, Michigan's 11th Congressional District is one of two seats in Metro Detroit that flipped from red to blue in 2018 after many years of Republican control. Congresswoman Haley Stevens, a former Obama administration official and manufacturing industry professional, became the first Democrat to represent the district in decades. Republican Eric Hockey hopes to win the seat back for the GOP in November, a little later from now, we're going to hear from As Hockey about his campaign. But first, I'd like to welcome Congresswoman Haley Stevens back to the show to talk about her bid for a second term representing the 11th congressional district. Congresswoman, welcome back to Detroit today.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having me, Stephen.
0: So let's start with uh, your elevator pitch. For why you think you should be returned to Congress for another two years representing Michigan's 11th district in Congress?
1: Well, uh, Stephen, I'm I'm passionate about what this district does, uh, what the people here do. Uh, I helped save Michigan's uh, economy before during the Great Recession. Uh, I uh, served as chief of staff in President Obama's administration. On the U.S. Auto Rescue, helping save over 200,000 Michigan jobs, and I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and help us through these choppy economic waters again. Uh, we're we're seeing this in uh, Michigan's 11th district, the incredible communities that are that are here, the communities where I was born and raised. Uh, they're they're looking at uncertainty, and I've been laser focused in this first term in Congress on our manufacturing economy, on jobs, on expanding economic opportunity, on standing up for for people's health care, as well as uh, standing up for our public schools and our ed- and our students and our our educators alike. And overall, I'm I'm very optimistic about the future of of this district. Uh, I've I've helped lead through transparency and accountability, holding frequent town halls before this pandemic hit and moving to the online forums when when it uh, forced us to social distance. And uh, I've been able to put about $2 million back into the pocketbooks of our constituents through my robust case management program, uh, helping veterans and uh, single moms uh, just navigate things before the federal government, and you not know, want to continue to serve as a pragmatic, uh, bipartisan leader and and deliver for this this district.
0: Hmm. So, so I would love for you to talk about what you think in the last two years, the first two years that you've been in Congress, uh, is your biggest accomplishment. And it's often difficult as. A new member of Congress to get a whole lot done. but but if you had to pick one thing that was kind of the pinnacle of uh, achievement for you, what would what would it be?
1: Oh, well, you know if you were if you're pushing me to talk about one one thing, i'll I'll say um, last year, I introduced um, a, a piece of legislation, the Building blocks of STEM Act. Uh, it was done bipartisan bicameral, so introduced in the the House and the Senate. Uh, the, the bill requires the National Science Foundation, uh, to make investments in early childhood education for the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics subjects with a particular emphasis on young girls because we see them kind of drop off the, the, the ladder for STEM careers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the bill was signed into law by President Trump on, on Christmas Eve and not many freshmen get a chance to have a bill uh, get signed in law, but um, I did. I've been, you know, endorsed by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Um, I'm the only Democrat in Michigan to be endorsed by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And, you know, they've cited my uh, pro-business record, and that's because I'm focused on jobs and and keeping a finger on the pulse of what, what moves this district.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, when you ran for Congress two years ago, you embraced Medicare for all. You even tweeted in June of 2018, quote, Medicare for all now. But since joining Congress, you haven't co-sponsored any of the Medicare for all bills, and you now say that you support a public option instead, and not Medicare for all. Uh, make the distinction for us, and tell us why the change of heart on that proposal.
1: Sure, I, I take a look at all all bills um, before I co-sponsor. I you know, give them a real deep dive. Uh, certainly there's a lot of spending that gets done at the federal level, uh, and I'm always looking for that return on spend, uh, particularly for, for our district and taking a look at the, the Medicare for all legislation, the way it was written, uh, is that it, 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 one, it's way too costly and two, I found it too disruptive and we're coming out of 10 years of repeated attacks on the Affordable Care Act. And so, When I looked at, in a two-year term, what was going to be most successful for my district in that moment, it's, one, stabilizing the ACA, lowering the cost of those prescription drugs. I mean, this is a real topic, Stephen, that I hear from people all over this district. I got retirees scared to go to the pharmacy because of what the prescription drugs might cost you know, we got diabetics whose costs you know haven't gone down despite uh, what uh, you know our chief executive has said and and so we got to we got to get this bill that this beautiful bill that you know I've helped work on signed into law and and we also uh, you know got to get rid of these junk insurance plans that you know, are saddling too many Americans with uh, out real coverage, and so this is something I've worked on, and the, the Education and Labor Committee. I've, I I took a look at Medicare for All. I, I look at you know I've looked at it during this pandemic, and I don't support it because I think it's too costly and too destabilizing for people. We don't need to take tens of millions of people off of their insurance in the middle of a pandemic. What we need to do. Is continue to stabilize the ACA, protect people with pre-existing conditions, and just bring some certainty to, to folks.
0: So uh, your opponent, of course, says this is a flip-flop and that it is being done for political gain in a district that still has a lot of Republican voters and uh, some conservative Democrats. Uh, how do you answer that charge? Yeah
1: think these things are slogans, you know. I, you know, I mean that's my website's always been really clear on this topic, Stephen. Um, you know, it, there's there's been no inconsistency at all. Um, you know, I answered this in debates um, last last time, um, and you know, I've been consistent as a as a member of Congress, and you know, I've had several town halls on this topic too, and, and, and you know, particularly on health care. You know, and I've continued to hear from folks uh throughout the the district so no you know my goal has always been transparency and uh, accountability uh which is you know why i held the town halls on these topics i held um, a few last year one this year um you know the uh, the other topic is that you got to have the ability to listen learn and lead in that order and when i kicked off this term That was the goal. And I, for the folks in the district, they they saw how I was operating, you know, very careful in terms of the bills that I was getting on, taking the time to make sure that they were the the right fit for our district.
0: Hmm. Um, Contrast your plans for cheaper health care costs with your opponent. So Eric S. Hockey says that medical pricing transparency is one of the best ways to drive down costs. He doesn't have a terribly detailed plan about how that would work, but talk about what your plan would be to, to control costs. It's one of the things that with the Affordable Care Act, whether you support or oppose it, I think everybody has to admit it hasn't lowered costs the way that it was anticipated to. So so how do we do that?
1: Yeah, we're seeing that with, with premiums um, and obviously some of the, the costs on small business. And that's something I've been focused on working on. I I think the big thing we got to do, though, is on on prescription drugs. And it's, you know, been this unique uh, reality here in America that we are paying, uh, you know, two, three, sometimes even six times more for our prescription drug costs. Uh, We we should be buying in bulk. We should be uh, having Medicare uh, negotiate the cost of prescription drugs. We should be indexing to the the free market, uh, this is something when I've taken a look at, uh, at, at at our healthcare costs would be an immediate way to to bring it down. I, I also think too we've got to look at um, you know the the way in which um, CMS is is pricing out things. Uh, you know the way in which older Americans with uh, particular uh, conditions uh, and of socioeconomic statuses are. Are being saddled with uh, higher uh, uh, healthcare plans, higher cost healthcare plans. This is something I've worked to put into uh, different pieces of legislation that would also help uh, lower lower costs. And then, lastly, you know, we just gotta we gotta look at uh, the the way in which we're improving the, the ACA, p- particularly for various groups who have been left out. You know, I'm thinking of my friends in the realtor world. You know, they're still buying at, you know, individual plans at a really high cost. You know, could we expand plans and coverage for those groups? This is something that, you know, we've we've spent some time on in committee as well. like and, and that I've talked to colleagues on the other side of the aisle about. I, I think we could bring a you know a potential bill forward that would expand lower cost coverage to to hardworking Michiganders. Hmm.
0: Um, so you have said that you don't think we should uh, defund the police, and of course this summer has been defined in many ways by the Black Lives Matter protests that have taken place in cities all over the country and the need to, to kind of focus on systemic racism and police brutality and other things that black and brown Americans face, uh, every day. So if, if you don't support the idea of defunding the police, tell us what you would do to reform law enforcement and reduce the racial violence that black and brown Americans face often from the police.
1: Yeah. Um, I probably voted for uh, the George Floyd justice and policing bill, which I think is a great step in the right direction for reform. We are undoubtedly at an inflection point in this country, um, as manifested by uh, you know, decades of uh, in- injustice, racial injustice. Uh, I've worked very closely uh, with my mayors and township supervisors in Michigan's 11th district, particularly some of them who are former law enforcement, as well as stakeholders in our, our district and uh, you know, community stakeholders. And with our justice and policing bill, uh, one, banning no-knock entries, two, uh, banning chokeholds, requiring body cams, and investing, you know, when, you know, this is why I disagree with the defund police movement, because number one conversation I, I, you know, I hear on this is we need resources. And, you know, our police officers are hardworking. They've got, you know, their pensions being cut we you know if you go and talk to a municipality it's the number one thing they're trying to hire for and can't hire for uh and we when we do hire we got to look at the quality we've got to look at the standards we've got to have training we've got to have bias training and some of our police departments have done a great job at this uh here in our district troy is a great example you know they were uh, they 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 reformed. Uh, you know, decades ago or about a decade and a half ago, they do community policing. There's a very hands-on approach. Great rapport with the the uh, the city. You know, the residents there about 100,000 people. Nice, you know, and they've been transparent the whole time, and you know, walk with the students who were demanding change as well uh, in in Troy. So, you know, I think we got to get this bill done. And many components of it, Stephen, are bipartisan, right? Uh, you know, it was drafted that way. You know, now the House has passed it through. Uh, you know, I'd like to see it done in in the in the Senate. And beyond that, you know, this is incumbent on all of us. Uh, and you know, as I've been. Zooming through the district, you know, it's a lot of Zooms these days, um, but as well as just being out and about, you know, the, these are conversations that people are, are wanting to have. Uh, it's being had in Oakland County uh, and it's certainly being had in the halls of, of Congress.
0: Hmm. Mm. Uh, I'm talking with Congresswoman Haley Stevens, a Democrat who represents Michigan's 11th district, who is facing her first re-election challenge in just two weeks on Election Day. Uh, We are focusing in on the 11th district today, talking with Congresswoman Stevens. And then in a little bit, we're going to hear from her Republican challenger, Eric Azhaki, about why he thinks he should have that seat in Congress, um, Congresswoman. I want to ask you about an ad that uh, your opponent is running. That uh, that plays a speech that you gave on the House floor. Um, and in the speech, you're pretty worked up and and shouting. Um, and I think the the intent of the ad is to. Portray you as uh, a little unhinged, I guess it would be the 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 word maybe that uh, that most appropriately describes it. Um, I, I would love to hear your your defense of uh, of, of that speech, of what you're doing there. Uh, I, each time I see it, I'm I'm curious to know what you were doing and uh, and how you would how you would describe. Uh, your own, I guess, uh, demeanor and 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 uh, approach there uh, in in that speech. <laughs>
1: well, you know, Stephen, when they when they can't attack you on policy, they I think they attack you <laughs> on the personal, and you know that's what I've seen in that ad is it's like a playground per- personality attack. Uh, you, you know, look, you know, in in the, in the vein of you know uh, David Bonnier or Phil, Hart, you know, I. I'm a fighter for Michigan's 11th district, okay, and and, and my folks, and and I'll tell you after uh, I you know gave gave the remarks, which I, I which I do often, you know, I regularly book uh, 30 minute sessions on the House floor to talk about the economy uh, and and speak directly to my my constituents from this sacred space of our democracy, which is the the well of the House floor, It's something I take really uh, seriously, but. You know, I, I just I heard from the, the nurses and the firefighters. Um, you know, this was uh given on the, the eve of the passage of the CARES Act. I, I don't think there's anything uh you know, I, I think to, to use your words, um uh, you, you know, uh, you know, o- overly passionate or, uh, you know, uh, hysterical. Maybe some are referring to it as, uh, you know, when you're standing up for people's health care. I mean, this is something you, you see members do all the time. And I'm uh, standing up for, for health care, our front uh, frontline responders. I, and truly, I've had individuals in our community on both sides of the aisle thank me because you have to understand at that, uh, this was March, there were 500 Deaths mm. uh, at the ta- American deaths from coronavirus. You know we have a commander in chief who's saying, you know, talking about treatments that haven't even been proven. Uh, you know, obviously underprepared for the, what it what it would take to tackle this virus. And now we're over two hundred and ten thousand deaths of our countrymen, our fellow countrymen. Does it mean we need to run around hysterical and afraid? Absolutely not. But we certainly you know, in, in a, in a moment of triage, you know, need to show people where we, where we stand as, as elected officials. And I I, I was hearing from my folks and I told them I would, you know, stand up for them. And I, I, you know, I've, I've served as a pragmatic leader. It's, you know, why I've been able to get the legislation I've been able to get done and, you know, look, I left middle school a long time ago, but (laughs) par for the course in any political season.
0: Mm. OK, Congresswoman Haley Stevens, Democrat who represents Michigan's 11th district, it was really great to have you here to talk about uh, your campaign and good luck to you in the final weeks of this uh, crazy election season.
1: Thank you so much, Stephen. And yeah. thanks for everyone who's listening. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Okay, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear from the other side of this contest in Michigan's 11th District. Republican Eric, as Hockey, joins us next to talk about why he thinks he should replace Haley Stevens as the congresswoman in that district. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Detroit mm-hmm. Today Listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. We just heard from Congresswoman Haley Stevens, who's running for a second term representing Michigan's 11th congressional district. Now we are going to hear from the other side of that equation, from her Republican challenger. Eric S Hockey is an attorney who also has a background in nursing. He joins me now to talk about his bid for Congress. Eric S. hockey, welcome to Detroit today.
2: Well, thank you, Stephen, and thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, so let's start with uh, why you are running to represent Michigan's eleventh district in Congress
2: well look i get I get asked this question all the time, and I'll tell you. Uh, I'm not running because I want to run. I don't think anybody in their right mind in this political environment uh, actually wants to run and expose themselves to a lot of the criticism and lies that we see in politics. But the reality of it is uh, we have a Congress that's broken. It's not working for the American people. It's certainly not working for the people here in Michigan. And we need folks who are going to go to Washington and focus on the issues, focus on the policies, and have a substantive debate about what policies are going to improve our lives and move us forward and which policies aren't going to do that. And so my whole goal in in this endeavor is to bring it back to a policy discussion, to put the political rhetoric and talking points aside and and actually uh, engage in in those policies and which ones uh, moving forward Uh, make sense and which ones are going to work so that we have uh, a strong economy so that we can focus on rebuilding our economy, defeating COVID-19 and restoring our way of life, Uh, bringing our manufacturing chain uh, uh, back here to Michigan, to the United States, bringing our supply chains back here so that uh, when we face the next crisis, we're prepared to do it.
0: Mm. So draw some contrast for us between yourself and Congresswoman Stevens.
2: Well, first, I would say I, I think that Congresswoman Stevens epitomizes the problem in our politics. Uh, she ran in a conservative district. She claimed to be a moderate. Uh, she's really been anything but. She's voted with her party 100 percent of the time, uh, which tells me that she's more interested in advancing her own political career uh, than actually engaging substantively in the issues uh, We have a fundamentally different idea of of what the role of government should be. And I think it's important to note, I think that we have similar um, goals in terms of we want affordable and and high-quality health care for everyone. We want high-paying jobs. uh, But we differ on our approach uh, to getting there. I don't believe that the government exists to solve all of our problems. I certainly don't believe that the government is the only path to prosperity. I think that that's a very clear contrast right now uh, in, our, in our political dialogue. Mm. Um, I believe that the American people are the ones that step up that engage in in innovation and uh, investment and building their own future and the government exists to uh, create a a healthy environment in which to do that
0: so so one of your criticisms there was that uh, congresswoman stevens has voted with her party 100 percent of the time that suggests that you would approach it differently give me some examples of ways that you differ from the republican agenda uh, in Washington, and how you would vote against your party as a first-year congressperson.
2: Well, look, I'll tell you one thing. My my yeah. allegiance is to the Constitution and to the voters here in the 11th and across Michigan. Um, when the Republican Party's doing things I agree with, uh, then I will agree with them. And when they're not, I won't. And that's the same thing with the other side of the aisle, um, there are certainly areas where I have disagreement, uh, particularly when it comes to some of the policies surrounding immigration, uh, surrounding our refugee law. Uh, this, is, this is actually an important issue for me. My dad was is, is a, a first-generation immigrant. Mm-hmm. He came here from Iraq back in the 70s when he was 21 because uh, he believed in the American dream, and I, and I look at what's going on in the Middle East right now, um, we have... Uh, the ability to allow 30,000 refugees to come into the country um, under the Trump administration, but he could actually increase that to 100,000. And I think that that's an important thing to do. We have about 500,000 displaced Christians throughout the Middle East, through no fault of their own, uh, living as largely second-class citizens. So uh, there are a lot of important areas where Again, this is about policy. It's not about allegiance to a particular party. Mm.
0: So so talk about some of your policy priorities. If you were to be elected to Congress, what would be the things that you would want to focus on?
2: I think we have to focus on, on the economy and, and relatedly what we do about COVID-19 moving forward and what we do more generally about our health care. I think those three issues are first and foremost on everybody's mind. Um, they're certainly important issues, and I think we have a lot of work there um, to continue to rebuild our economy, uh, to bring our health care costs down, uh, to ultimately defeat COVID-19. Uh, but we need a plan to do it, and we haven't seen a plan from our, our leaders at the federal level, at the state level, even at the local level. And uh, I think we, we've all suffered the consequences of that.
0: Hmm. So I, I want to talk about medical uh, insurance and medical healthcare issues here in the country, that is a big part of what is being debated in Washington uh, right now. You have ads that claim that Congresswoman Stevens supports Medicare for All. In fact, she says she doesn't support that policy, but she does support a public option. Uh, her position on Medicare for All has changed since she ran for Congress in, uh, in 2018, and since then she hasn't co-sponsored any of those any of those bills. So I, I wonder why you continue to claim that she supports that position. But also, uh, I'd love for you to talk about your approach to uh, Medicare for all or or a public option.
2: Yeah, well, the, you know, the reality of it is Congresswoman Stevens has been on record multiple times claiming that she advocates for Medicare for all or single payer system or government controlled health care. Uh, she's changed her position, uh, based on, on, uh, and, and to me, that's just a, a policy. Move. Uh, the reality of it is a public option. Uh, doesn't go quite as far, uh, but it also doesn't do anything to get costs down. Uh, what, what she has done is put an ad up on, on TV claiming that the AARP opined on my health care plan back in 2017, uh, claiming that it would throw off, you know, hundreds of thousands of elderly people off their insurance. Uh, I don't think the ARP even knew who I was in 2017. The ad is blatantly false. I've been on record multiple times uh, saying that I absolutely support uh, protecting folks with pre-existing conditions. Uh, that was an important part of Obamacare. Quite frankly, it was a good part of Obamacare. Uh, but Haley doesn't want to have a policy discussion. Uh, we challenged her to a debate, uh, three debates, actually. One of them, we wanted to spend an hour on health care policy alone. Uh, instead, she would rather put false ads up on TV that have been fact-checked by the Detroit Free Press, and even after they were fact-checked, continue to spend um, a million dollars in an ad campaign pushing lies. Um, we get bogged down in a lot of the rhetoric surrounding Obamacare, uh, and people want to argue the semantics. They ask, are you for repealing and replacing? Are you for amending? Are you for fixing? The reality of it is, I don't care what you call it, but I think everybody understands that it's not working. This is why the Democrats want to continue uh, to change uh, and, and, uh, and improve Obamacare, um, because Obamacare didn't do anything to address the cost of health care. Uh, it addressed an access problem, uh, but in doing so, we've only seen our costs continue to increase. So we have to get back to some of the basics. We have to make some changes to Obamacare so that we start focusing on the costs and bringing those costs down But we need to keep the good parts, which is protection for people with pre-existing conditions. The fact that insurance companies prior to Obamacare uh, were permitted to raise rates when somebody got sick uh, was wrong. Mm. And we should always support those people and make sure that they are protected. Uh, At the same time, though, uh, if we're not going to address the costs, we're not going to be able to provide a system uh, that creates more affordable and, and higher quality care Uh, for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I would just add to that, uh, you know, the issue of access to health insurance is a is a very polarizing political issue. And it's an important issue. Everybody should have access to health insurance. But it also takes away from uh, a lot of the other aspects of our health. And we know now that access to health insurance is not the number one predictor of health outcomes, and that we have a whole host of social determinants that play a much bigger role in how healthy we are. And so we've lost sight of of the goal, which is making people more healthy or helping them to live healthier lives by focusing almost exclusively on access to health insurance. insurance. And I think we need to focus on more of those social determinants as well. Uh, We know that folks who are living in poverty um, don't have the same opportunities to live a healthy lifestyle. Education is, is a hugely important aspect of this as well. So, Again, these are, are important issues. They are complicated issues. And we need to have adult conversations, uh, not just talking points.
0: Mm. So, so you, you talked about getting costs down in, in health care uh, and that uh, the Affordable Care Act hasn't, hasn't been able to do that. Tell me what your plan would look like to control costs.
2: Well, I think we need to do a couple of things right away, and they're smaller incremental steps. Number one, we need to start streamlining the billing process in our healthcare system. Uh, I worked as a nurse for eight years. Uh, the amount of inefficiencies uh, in the system are are really crazy. Uh, we have at, at any standard nursing home four to five nurses that do nothing but focus on billing. That's not counting all the time that's being taken from doctors and nurses on the floor uh, dealing with billing issues instead of actually taking care of patients. So there are, are ways that we can do that. Uh, we need to start looking into how we're going to do that right away. Uh, I think that the uh, the loosening of restrictions on antitrust law under Obamacare has allowed for a uh, big uh, uh, medicine to form. It's complicated. And the idea was we would benefit from the synergies of these companies merging. But in reality, uh, the big companies, the big medicine has scooped up the little guys and eliminated a lot of the competition, uh, which has only contributed to the increased cost. The other aspect of this is, is we need tr- more transparency in pricing. Um, if we're going to have competition based on cost, we need to know what those costs are. And right now, you go to the hospital and you need care. You don't know how much it costs, and you really can't even find out until after, and then sometimes, you know, one, two, three months later, you get multiple bills, um, and you're in a position where you have to pay them. There's no way to understand the cost if we don't have transparency, and if we don't have – if we can't understand the cost, then we can't have competition based on cost. So we need to bring more of those – Free market principles into our, our the
0: healthcare space uh, you know lots of i hear lots of republicans say that and i hear lots of conservatives say that and that's the system we had before the affordable care act and it didn't work health care costs were skyrocketing before it was passed so so i guess my question is always why would you go back to the system that was worse than what we have now
2: well, well, I disagree with you. I don't think that there was transparency in health care before the passage of Obamacare. But, but transparency
0: uh, doesn't do anything to, to, to lower costs. It just tells you how much you're paying. I mean, this idea that somehow if you know what you're paying, it will be less is 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 sort of absurd, isn't it? I mean, don't well, you well, need? No, I don't to... think
2: so. The the reality of it is, right now, healthcare systems there's huge disparities in how much they charge. Right. A lot of the care, a lot of the care that we need. Um, is not emergent care. So I'm not saying that if you break your leg, you're going to call around and see which emergency room is going to see you for a lesser price. But we have a lot of routine uh, lab work that we need to get done. We have routine MRIs that we need to get done. Uh, for example, uh, I had some shoulder pain. The uh, doctor wasn't sure what was going on, uh, wanted me to get an MRI. Uh, I actually called around to several different places to find out how much they were going to bill my insurance it was very difficult for them to lock them down on a price because right. they ultimately wanted to go and, and find out what my insurance would pay them. Uh, but when I, when I finally figured out how much the prices were, there were huge disparities. Sometimes some systems were charging more than double what the others were for the same exact
0: cost. Right, so but no one, no, one, we... no one disputes that there are different prices. The question is whether simply knowing the prices will result in prices going down. This, this is a fantasy that, that people have about the way the market works. There's nothing about knowing what the price is that will lower the price. Why, why would well, that well, happen without true. government we action?
2: Have, uh, the, look, look, the reality of it is we have two, two spaces in our economy that where we have a third party paying and people don't care about the cost. And we've seen the, the, the cost um, increase dramatically. And that's in our higher education and that's in our healthcare space. Why we think those two are different is not particularly clear. Well, in to higher me. ed, we, in every know. Other aspect,
0: we know in every what other we pay for in higher economy, ed.
2: In every other aspect of our economy, when we have more competition, we see costs going down. And I'll hmm. give you one great example in the healthcare space take LASIK eye surgery. This was extremely expensive when it first came out. Insurance companies didn't want to cover it because you could get glasses and it was cheaper for them. So what we saw were more LASIK eye surgeries popping up because doctors knew that they could command a high price. Uh, When you saw more popping up, you saw more competition, and you've seen the prices come down dramatically to the point where you can go get LASIK eye surgery uh, sometimes for a couple hundred bucks. Mm. And so, this is an area, this is a space where it can work as well. Um, but okay, if we don't know the price, we yeah. are not going to be able to get there.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I want to talk about the pandemic and the response to the pandemic. Uh, you have a background in nursing. Uh, how would you grade President Trump, for instance, uh, in the way that we have responded to COVID 19?
2: Look, I think there were failures at, at all levels of government, at the local, state, and federal level. Uh, the reality of it is this the virus came here quickly. Uh, we didn't know entirely what to expect. We saw what was going on in China. We saw what was going on in Italy and other parts of Europe. And so we acted quickly. We reacted. We shut down our economy. We didn't want to overwhelm our health care system. The problem is we bought ourselves time by doing that, but we didn't put in place a plan uh, on how we were going to move forward. And so we've seen a lot of inconsistencies uh, throughout the, the entire system. Uh, we knew early on, we saw a lot of testing from New York City, that this virus uh, was particularly problematic and serious for about 20% of the population. Uh, for the other 80%, uh, they would suffer something like a minor cold or sometimes even no symptoms at all. So our our reactions have been both over and under inclusive at the same time. Hmm. They've been over inclusive because we know this, this impacts 20% in a serious way, and we've shut down 100% of our economy. Uh, they've been under-inclusive because we've done nothing to uh, protect that 20%. And, in fact, the policies here in Michigan and Governor Whitmer's policies when it comes to nursing homes uh, have been terrible. And we've lost a lot of lives because of it. I worked in nursing homes for, for many years. I was a manager. Uh, anybody who, who understands um, how, how nursing homes are run understand that the, the staffing is not there uh, the procedures and protocol calls are not there, um, to, to institute the type of infection control procedures that we need to prevent the spread of this. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's really an unfortunate situation.
0: Uh, uh, of course, Gov- Gov- Governor Whitmer was following CDC recommendations with her, uh, with her nursing home orders. So they were orders that she made, but they were on the recommendation of what, uh, the federal government said it would do. Um, I, I also wonder if you can draw some contrasts, perhaps, between yourself and and President Trump. He he is a divisive figure. I think is is a is a fair way to 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 put it, and uh, has had a lot a lot of trouble uh, uh, bridging the gap between left and right, Democrats and and Republicans. Uh, I, I I'm always curious right now about how other members of the Republican Party see the way that he is behaving, and whether they would put some distance, I guess, between themselves and and all of that.
2: Well, first of all, I'm not running to uh, defend President Trump. I think he he does that on his own and and does just fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm running to talk about policy, not people. Uh, There are no perfect people. If we want to talk about people, we could be here all day and we would never get anywhere because we all make mistakes and nobody's perfect. We can, however, come together on policy issues uh, and the best policies to move this country forward and i think that that's what we ought to do and that's what my campaign is about uh,
0: so so you wouldn't you wouldn't then you wouldn't then uh, admit that uh, the the style in which the president does things or says things is harmful to the political process i mean you started off talking about how things are broken in washington do you not see him as part of what's broken?
2: Well, look, one of the reasons that they're broken is because we continuously want to talk about people instead of policies. Well, and the reality I mean, of it is if on, we're going Eric. to talk about people. We can talk. We can talk about all the folks on the left, too. I mean, we're not asking the Democrats to defend Joe Biden's record, but it's a pretty checkered. Well, record. sure they are. Uh,
0: Absolutely. They're asked to do that.
2: Well, I don't know about that. I mean, we don't see the media calling him out on legitimate sexual assault allegations that were levied against him. We don't see the media calling him out about his his checkered past. Those have all been those have all making, been vetted in the media over up. 40 years. He's uh, been
0: in public service for 40 years. All of those questions have been asked. They have also been asked of this president and he's not answered them. Do you do you, I,
2: I I I disagree with you. Uh
0: well, w- Joe w- Biden has
2: has said multiple racist comments, and if you're if you're not on social media, you really don't even hear about them. Because uh, that's untrue. They were covered when they
0: were said. They were said years ago, and they were covered when well, they were, years when ago they were when, done. When, when, he,
2: when he told the gentleman that if he didn't vote for him, he wasn't black. You think nobody, that's you think that's uh, tantamount?
0: You think that's tantamount to saying that there are are good people on the side of The Klan in Virginia, you think that's tantamount to not calling out white supremacy in the middle of a debate? You think those things are equal?
2: Look, I I am not here to defend uh, President Trump. Uh, I will say that he has condemned white supremacy on multiple occasions, and this is a narrative that that, that the the left continues to push in the media, and I think that it's unfortunate because it takes away from the issues. But I I will tell you this, if if there are people that aren't condemning white supremacy, uh, I want them as far away from me as possible, because the reality of it is we need to treat everybody with dignity and respect. Uh, We can't do that. Uh, if, if 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 we don't see if our leaders, especially at the political level, aren't setting the example, and right now I'm not seeing it being set by any of the politicians, and this is one of the problems with our politics. This is why people are fed up with it, and this is really why I wanted to get into this race because I want to bring it back to policy. Uh, but you see, even even during this interview, we, we, we're back to talking about people. Why don't we talk about the policies that can actually make people's lives better?
0: Well, because partially because policy is enacted by people and leadership matters, and the people who are in charge uh, so we lead the with policies, the things that they're so if we look doing. At the
2: policies, the conservative policies that have been implemented over the last three and a half years, uh, not only have they made sense, but they've worked. We've seen one of the most robust economies we've ever seen. In the history of this country we've seen unemployment at record lows we've seen people's retirements in their 401ks um, continue to grow we've seen uh, poverty levels decrease substantially and in particular within the minority communities I mean these are good policies that we need uh, to to continue to nurture and uh, and implement Mm.
0: okay all right Uh, Eric as hockey it was really great to have this discussion and debate with you here on Detroit Today. I really appreciate you coming by, and I want to wish you luck in the final weeks of the campaign and uh, on Election Day.
2: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and uh, it's always good to speak with you.
0: We're going to take another quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about the election coming up really quickly here. There are a lot of deadlines and new rules to keep up with for voters. Up next, we're going to go over all the information you need to know as a voter between now and Election Day to make sure your vote counts. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.